I'm Henry Standage, and you're listening to the Western Science Speaks podcast. Synthetic materials have been a transformative invention in the world of academia. Synthetics take our knowledge past that of the natural and allow us to optimize the properties of chemicals. Professor Joe Gilroy's lab in the Department of Chemistry is concerned with this optimization. They invent new synthetic materials that change the perception of what a molecule is supposed to be capable of. In this podcast, I chat with Professor Gilroy about the work he does with conductivity efficiency, infrared lighting, and the various fields in which this research can mark promising new solutions, perhaps most crucially in medical diagnostics. Here's the interview. Can you describe your research and explain the relationship between structure and property specifically? So my uh, research team is comprised mainly of synthetic chemists, and we specialize in the manipulation of the structure of molecules. And the reason we're interested in doing that is that we want to induce specific properties from those molecules based on their structure. One of the central challenges that we're trying to overcome is the tendency of most molecules to have electrons which are specifically located on the atoms that make up the molecular structure. What we're trying to do is encourage the molecules themselves to share the electrons across all of the atoms in the molecular structure. When we do this, we tend to make molecules which are electrically conductive, which uh, which can emit light of various different colors and what we do on a regular basis is manipulate structure, study the properties and then ultimately use that information to establish structure property relationships. Now this can take on many different forms and specifically what we're typically interested in are molecules that have application in uh, electronic displays, memory devices or even biological uh, applications such as cell imaging. What role does the energy level play in this? We are interested in in the the energy levels of the occupied orbitals or energy levels, the ones that have electrons in them, and the unoccupied energy levels. The closer those energies become, the more efficient electrical conductivity tends to be in in a semiconducting material. So what we want to do is find ways to make those energy levels as close as possible. And we can study them using computational uh, methods to, to look at the theory behind it. Or we can, we can use experimental methods to assess the, the energy gap between those two energy levels. What is the relationship there between the energy levels being lower actually resulting in higher efficiency? Sure. So when the energy level the highest occupied and the lowest unoccupied energy levels are close in energy. What that allows is for electrons to hop between the different energy levels. And this is a fundamental process that's required for electrical conductivity in in semiconducting materials. Without the ability to hop between the levels, the materials are, are insulating and they don't conduct electricity. So the narrower the gap or the smaller the energy gap between the levels, typically the more efficient the electrical conductivity. Where does that lead to in your work? So with uh, this biological imaging, what do you use these lower energies for? 
in terms of where this leads us in our work with respect to electrical conductivity, we happen to make some special materials which can switch between a high conductivity state and a low conductivity state. Now we use these materials to make flash memory devices such as, as the memory that we're all familiar with in USB drives. And the high conductivity and low conductivity states are, are on off or zero and one in a, in a computational binary type of sense. And they allow us to both read and write stored information. So in these types of uh, technologies, they're called resistive memory technologies. It's the change in, in resistance or the change in conductivity that leads to the data that, that can be read or, or written to these memory devices. What new materials or techniques are you guys developing in the biological imaging field? So in our group, we work with a, a class of compounds known as formazans, which are a famous class of dye molecules. They're red in color, sometimes even purple. And uh, they also, when they're complex to inorganic elements such as boron, they emit light in the red or even in the near-infrared region of the electromagnetic spectrum. And these are unique features for molecules that have such small structure. So this is something that uh, has opened up new doors in the imaging field. And specifically, it's the, the color red or, ne or the near-infrared light that's attracting the attention in this context. Now, the reason that's important, and the reason people want to study red emitters or near-IR emitters, is the fact that those wavelengths of radiation will pass through biological tissue much more efficiently than other wavelengths. And we've all probably witnessed this, probably as kids, when we shine a, a flashlight on our fingers and we notice that they glow red. What's happening there is the red light is passing through our fingers and the rest of the light is being filtered out by our, our flesh in, in that particular case. So when we're thinking about biological imaging, we want to, as efficiently as possible, collect the light that's emitted from the molecules within the cells and if they're filtered out by the cells themselves or, or other biological tissue that's not possible so by going into the red and the near infrared we're making the process much more efficient and we're we're essentially making the images that we're collecting a lot brighter which allows us to extract more information to realize higher resolutions and just to generally produce images that are much more valuable can you just uh, explain briefly what you mean by dye, just for somebody who doesn't know? Right, so a dye in the, the simplest sense is, is a molecule that's highly colored, and formazans themselves were, were initially used as red dyes, so literally to dye clothing or, or textiles. Now, the term dye is also often used to describe fluorescent materials, and really it's, it's intensely colored molecules that are, are loosely described as dyes in this context. So these molecules are very, very intensely colored and they very uh, efficiently emit red or near-infrared light as well. So they'd be classified as near-infrared dyes. Why is it important to create new materials like this for biological imaging? There are really two challenges in my opinion. Of course, there are many sub-challenges, but the, the primary challenges that we are attacking in our approach are both cost and function. With respect to cost, our materials are extremely easy to produce. Now, we can produce them for usually around a factor of a thousand cheaper than the average commercially available alternative. 
So that's one aspect. If we can produce them more cheaply, we, they can potentially at some point be sold for, for less money and used more widely. Now the second challenge, as I mentioned, is, is function. And the near-infrared emission that we have managed to coax out of our molecules is actually a really ra rare phenomenon and very difficult to achieve. And what's unique about our molecules is they have a very small uh, skeletal framework. Their molecular weights are not very high. Usually to, to realize a near-infrared emission, you'd have to have much larger molecules that tend not to be compatible with biological systems. So we've managed to, to discover a unique class of fluorescent dyes that happen to emit in the near IR that are also easy to make, which is, a, is sort of the, the combination that everyone is looking for in this type of application. What does that bring to the table that you didn't have before? Well, it's really this combination of low cost and, and high performance that can be achieved via other systems, but it's very difficult to combine them. So, I mean, in the, in the performance domain, is it what can they do that wasn't previously accessible? So, in the performance domain, the advantage of our systems is really the fact that we can produce these very small molecules that give intense near-infrared emission. This is very difficult to achieve with related uh, families of molecules where the synthesis required would be very extensive in order to achieve similar wavelengths and in most cases the molecules themselves would not be compatible with uh, biological condition. Can you take me through the process of how you're able to use these by getting inside the cell and then once it's in what indicators are you looking for? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the, the challenges here is the fact that it's actually very difficult to predict cell uptake. And that's what we're considering here. We want the cells to uptake our molecules. Now what we typically do is we, we develop a molecule, we assess its properties, and identify it as a strong candidate or a poor candidate for, for imaging applications. When we identify a strong candidate, we introduce the dye, or the fluorescent dye in this case, into the cells via essentially dissolving it in a biologically compatible medium. So what are the characteristics of a strong candidate? So a strong candidate would be, for example, a near-infrared emitter, easily accessible, highly efficient fluorescence, because we want that fluorescence to be as bright as possible. It differs from material to material, so it's, it's those criteria are related to our, our molecules, not to the cells. So when we introduce them into cells, what we're looking for is, first of all, does the cell uptake the material? Does it enter the cell at all? And we assess that using a technique called confocal uh, fluorescence microscopy, which allows us to visualize the cells and specifically to visualize the areas that are fluorescing from our dye. So we actually get a, a visual picture to, to assess whether or not it's being taken into the cell. Now we had a good hint that formazans and, and their complexes would be taken into the cells uh, for these applications because they're actually used in one of the most common assays to determine whether or not cells are living. The end line in this particular field of research is presumably diagnostic imaging, but are there any other possible practical applications? Absolutely. We're 
still quite interested in, and it, it should be said that this is a multi-year challenge to, to produce the next potentially commercially available cell imaging agents. We're very interested in, in continuing this, this work. And the next step has to be to extend to disease targeting examples where we can append different structures to our fluorescent dyes that will essentially talk to various parts of the cell in different ways and, and be taken into the different features of the cell and allow them to be imaged independently. So that's the challenge we're currently working in. One of the other areas where these molecules will likely have significant application is in photodynamic therapy. And in photodynamic therapy, what we're doing is we're absorbing light, which our, our dyes are extremely well suited for, and we're generating reactive oxygen via reaction of, of the, the dye after it's absorbed light and oxygen in, in a cell. And that reactive oxygen species will go on to kill cells, which is an advantage in anti-cancer therapeutics and, and applications such as that. So, we have not begun work in that area, but I think there's a lot of promise for our, our classes of dyes in that specific area.